Hi there, you're listening to High Performance, our gift to you for free every single week. I'm Jake Humphrey, and this is where I have a conversation with my exceptional co-host, Professor Damien Hughes, an expert in high-performing team cultures. And we speak to the world's leading artists, entrepreneurs, visionaries, sports stars, and leaders to find out what makes them tick to see whether it can get you closer to high performance. And Damien, this is a recap episode and in some ways it's celebratory because it's the women's Euros and we're really excited about England's chances. But also this episode is tinged with a bit of regret and sadness because it's a conversation with an amazing player who's done so much for club and country yet won't be competing this summer. Yeah, I think that... One of my favourite quotes around high performance is that if we see further than most, it's because we've been standing on the shoulders of giants. And I think that the England squad at the European Championships would all pay tribute to the impact of Steph Horton and how much she's been a trailblazer for them. So if you're not too aware of the story, of course, Steph's had a stellar England career, yet she was carrying an injury. She had to have surgery. She tried to recover in time, um, according to you know, the press reports, she felt like she was on track to make it into the squad. But the England manager made a decision, um, in her words, that Steph wasn't ready to compete. So you've worked with so many high-performance teams over the years, Damien, and you've dealt often with players who've been told by a manager or a coach information that they didn't want to hear. What do you find is often the best information from you to kind of help them with their mindset, to get them back on track, to make them see that in the moment this might feel like everything, but actually it isn't always. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think some, there's a couple of approaches you tend to take. First of all, is getting them to see it from a sense of perspective, that seeing that while this is merely a blip on the road, this doesn't define them. So to put it into a wider perspective. And I think without being crass about it, I think Steph would understand that better than most. We know that her husband, Stephen Derbyshire, has had a highly publicised uh, battle with the, the terrible illness of motor neurone disease so I think being able to put it in that context there is important for her and I think the other thing is to see that how she behaves at her lowest moments and I'm sure Steph is feeling particularly desolate at the moment is really important because when things go right again and it surely will how she behaves at the lowest ebb will influence how people respond to her when things are going well. So encouraging her to keep her dignity and to maintain uh, a positive front is uh, is critical. And look, she's played well over um, 100 games for England. She's won pretty much every trophy in the game that you can win. And she is 34 now. So in your experience from the work you've done yeah. with elite teams and elite individuals for so many years... What is the transition like, this period Steph's in now where her career's not over, but you know that it's going to be very hard to match the levels that, that, that you've matched in the past? Yeah, I think a big part then is getting her to see how she can impact on the wider culture. And to, we, we've used this phrase a lot on the podcast, the cultural architects, be somebody that role models the behaviours, because her career has given her a status where people will look up to her for her achievements. So I think being able to pass on to this next generation, the work ethic, the humility, the discipline that she's had is where she can really start to continue to add real value to the squad. And I think whether she's in the camp or not, I think the way that she role models those behaviours is still going to be critical. And I think value um, is the right word to use at this moment because the value that 
Steph Curry as a human being should not be diminished by the fact that she's not in an England squad for a major competition. You know, she has so much to offer as a wife, as a friend, as a daughter, um, as a player still, and who knows, maybe as a coach or a manager in the future. But it reminds me of that phrase we use often on the High Performance Podcast, just because something is hard for you, it doesn't mean it's bad for you. And actually, if and when, you know, Steph is involved in coaching or management, this will give her a real empathy with players going through a, a similar stage in their career. Yeah, definitely. I think that the fact that she's now able to speak with her people that have been cut from a squad or been able to deal with the disappointment and to say, I've been there myself. That's why it's important that how she responds and how she role models those behaviours uh, is going to be important. And getting her to see it within that perspective and context of her life, uh, I'm sure she's got people around her doing precisely that. And you know what, just because she uh, she isn't in the Lionesses squad for this uh, for this summer's tournament, it doesn't mean that her thoughts and the processes and the hard work and the discipline that she's been through for so many seasons is any less valuable. So I know that you're going to get so much out of this conversation if you haven't heard it already. And if you have heard it already, I promise you, you will hear things you didn't pick up on the first time around. So it's time for the re-released episode of the High Performance Podcast. All of us wish our very best to the Lionesses for the Euros this summer. But right now, Steph Horton on the High Performance Podcast comes next. 
Let's get straight into it then. What is your definition of high performance? I think performing at a level consistently every single day. For me, I think being a part of a team, the only thing that you can control is how you perform. Um, And I think you can't just turn that performance on and off. I think it's all about what you do during the week and then what you do during the month and the year. I think that's what I've learned over the last few years is that it's not just about performing on one day. You have to consistently do that throughout the, the season and throughout the year. So you say you've learned that over the last few years, Steph. What was it that was the catalyst to learn that lesson about the consistency and all the small things adding up? I think especially in women's football, especially over the last four or five years, I think firstly turning to a professional footballer um, you couldn't really cut corners because the next day you had to train and you had to perform and being at a club like Manchester City and the increased competition within the England setup, I think it was kind of like my mindset was right okay well I can't let anybody else take over me and the only thing that I can do is keep pushing myself and challenging myself to be even better than I was the day before and um, I think maybe potentially in my early years in my career I think Maybe you could have got away with that because I knew that I was talented. I knew I could work hard, but ultimately I was doing a lot more still than other people, whereas people were now training at the same level and intensity that I was. I was at Manchester City just a few days ago watching you training, and I said this to you afterwards. You and Ellen White, who are the two most experienced players in the team, in my opinion, were the two most dedicated and committed trainers in the team. But what really sort of stays with me is that after training... The rest of the players went in. You and Ellen stayed behind, practised finishing, practised free kicks. And then you and Ellen are putting the balls away and clearing away the poles and clearing away the mannequins. Damien talks about this. He talks about cultural architects, people that set the agenda within an environment. Do you feel that you're a cultural architect at Manchester City? Do you feel it is partly your responsibility to set the tone for all the other people around you? Um, Yeah, I think especially being a captain and a leader and one of the experienced players. I know how much older players, when I was younger, they set the tone for me and the standard that I wanted to be. And I'll never, ever forget what they did for me as a young player and trying to make me a better player and a better person. And I think when you're at a club at Manchester City and England captain, I think you have to set the way in terms of your standards on and off the pitch. And I think first and foremost, what you do on the pitch is the most important. And I know the likes of me and Ellen and Jill Scott, they we continuously push and push and get the most of out of training that we can. Continuously, we're always staying after, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes, and it's about having good quality of what we do and picking up the balls and the cones I mean the youngsters take them out but at the same time we all have to chip in and I've been there and I've done that and it's about staying humble and ultimately you're a team and everybody's equal so given that this podcast is around our listeners understanding how to achieve high performance if you would had somebody in your squad that wasn't quite at that level of high performance how would you help them beyond setting an example how would you help them make that transition Um, I think obviously if I look at myself as a leader I am one of them people that does set the example in terms of my professionalism on the pitch and off the pitch I like to do all my recovery stuff and do the best that I can for the team and for myself and I think it's always about having them conversations and that communication I think um, as a youngster they like to know that they're doing well but at the same time I think you've got to balance it out with okay you can maybe do better or why are you eating that for are you going to go and do your ice bath I think it's kind of like maybe them not recognising what they're doing and I think it takes you until you're a little bit older to kind of have that self-awareness of the things that you can do to help performance and improve yourself as a player and a person but also 
also for us as older players is to go well actually we've been there and done that we've had that experience of maybe missing out on these little things and they certainly do add up I'm interested to explore that actually when you talk about things that you haven't had how important is it for you now in the elite environment that you operate in at Manchester City to have gone through that journey of really getting involved in a sport that wasn't even professional when you first started? It's crazy when I think about it. I think um, obviously when I first started playing football there was no girls teams and my first ever team was my school team which was me and my best mate and my cousin um, Amy we were part of this team that was full of boys and we just wanted to play football and first getting scouted for Sunderland where we were only training once a week we weren't even playing games and then I've it's seen so many developments over the amount of years that I've been playing football I would have rather have had it that way than maybe the girls that have had it now because really? I think you really really appreciate what, where you've come from and I think my mentality and my mindset's definitely come from potentially you don't actually know what's going to happen in the future so I'm going to make the most of now and um, I'll try and fight for everything that I, that I want and to just to keep playing football because I love the sport so much and it was a bonus that I could be a professional footballer. I always knew I'd be involved in football, but whether that was a hobby or doing something, maybe coaching, for example, a boys team or what it might be, um, it's been quite nice to see the transition from probably paying to player and paying £250 a year to and then wearing hand-me-downs from the lads team. It's um, certainly come a long way from then. When you were starting to play with boys teams, mm. I imagine you must have met some resistance and at every level along the way you'll have met people that maybe are cynical or opposed to what you wanted to do. Mm. What advice would you give about overcoming that cynicism and those objections? Yeah, you're right. I think obviously a girl playing football probably when I was younger wasn't really heard of and I think when you're a little bit good as well, I think people have a tendency to be a little bit jealous and you may be starting ahead of their son and I think I was good enough to have the family that I have around us because it could have been easy for them just go right okay well you're not playing we don't want you to feel the way that you do but actually it was like well go and prove them wrong then like actually how did you feel when you were walking out onto a football field as a young person alongside your school friends every single other player is a boy apart from you like that takes real bravery, I think, at a young age to do that. Yeah, you feel quite intimidated, I think, because you know that people are watching and thinking, why, why is she playing? And, God, it, it, how come she's playing instead of a boy or whatever it might be? And I think it was just kind of like, I just think I just loved it so much. I was just like, well, actually going to prove that I'm probably going to be better than him anyway. And I think it gave us that motivation to be even better than I probably was back then. And, yeah, probably brave is the right word, I think especially at that time I think it was probably an unknown and for me to go and play and um, I was fortunate enough though that the lads on my team actually really accepted us and because you were good probably yeah I mean five asides it was always nice if they picked you on your team as well so I think that gives you a little bit of confidence and belief to just keep playing one of the things that I was wondering was you brought a level of talent to to that that made them respect you eventually what if there was a listener here that doesn't have perhaps the same level of ability that you had to go and prove them wrong but still loves playing and wants to involve themselves what advice would you pass on for them I think for me I think if throughout my career it's always like work as hard as you possibly can and everything that you do and I'm still like that at the age of 31 I think you try and drain out as much information as you can from the people around you and I think for someone that loves football but potentially doesn't feel as though they're talented, I've seen so many girls, um, some of my teammates that potentially at 15, 16 haven't had the talent but 
with their hard work and dedication attitude have made it to the top and playing for England and representing the country at World Cup so anything is possible and I think it's just about really focusing on what you can control um, I think that's a big thing for me is sometimes you worry a little bit about too much about what other people think and what other teammates think of you as a player and as a person but at the same time I think if you apply yourself correctly each day um, in your training whether you're speaking to someone asking questions I think you can go a long way. Talking about only worrying about things that you can control how much work have you had to do on that because when you're really really committed right you can actually be too committed can't you it could eat you up inside you can be a distraction for the rest of the players you can frustrate your manager talk to us about how much work you've had to do to try and get that balance right yourself because I can imagine you being quite intense yeah I'm intense I think um I think I've done a lot of work since I've been named captain I think obviously I was 26 when I was first named England captain and there was players probably with more experience who had got a lot more caps than me and probably were in a better position to be named as captain and within the group and probably outside world I think it was kind of a strange choice but at the same time in myself I was absolutely buzzing and but I think for that first six months of my captaincy I wasn't who I wanted to be I wanted to be everybody else's mate I wanted to try and please everyone and it took away from my football and speaking to the psychologist in England we did a lot of work together every single trip that we were away away from camp about controlling what I can control and staying in my bubble um, whether that was in the football sense or media fans social media which is a, a big part of football now and I did think too much in that first six months about how I was and who I was trying to be. Right. Um, and I kind of just strip it all back and go, right, OK, well, what am I like as a footballer? What do I bring to the team and what do I bring as a leader? And just to really focus on them things and bring them as my strengths. And how often do you still focus on those areas then? So how, how often do you still work to develop as a leader? Yeah, massively. I think obviously with change of manager and change of players, it's important to not just kind of stand still and try and adapt different ways I'm not really the most confrontational person but at times probably over the last season and in big moments you have to be that person to kind of make a decision on behalf of the team and what the team needs and be strong enough to kind of believe that that's the right thing to do and you probably have to test yourself and I'm challenging myself every day to be an even better leader and I, I understand that some people may not see me as their perfect captain but at the same time I know that over the last five, six years, especially for Man City in England, my only focus has ever been the team. So when you first became captain, and you talk about trying to be best friends with everyone rather than the leader, if you came across players or teammates that just weren't operating at the level you wanted them to, would you confront them about it? Or in the early days, would you find that too difficult? I was probably a little bit standoffish, I think. I was like, I, I could see what was happening, but it was like I didn't really have the tools to be able to go and speak to them so I think you probably would lean on older players to go and do that and maybe try and get other people to help and I'm not stupid enough to know it's not about me and what I do you have to have people around you that you really trust and you have to use your teammates in different situations and you have to use their strengths as much as you possibly can so you're kind of delegating a little bit more which I've learned a lot that it obviously helps you can't obviously have everything on your shoulders to continuously. Who taught you that? I think the psychologist a bit, I think he was he was big on that and I think he was massive for me in my early couple of years as captain and 
Um, I'll be forever grateful for that. But I think obviously all the players as well, the likes of Laura Bassett, Jill Scott, my best mate Ellen, she obviously room with her in England as well. So she gets a lot of me coming in going, oh, I'm sick of this or I don't know what to do about this. And they're the type of people that you need to to really help. And um, I will be forever grateful for everything that they've done. You mentioned about when you first came in as a, as a young player, you had older players that set the example for you. Mm. What kind of lessons would you say were the most effective, the ones that have lasted the longest, the lessons that you were taught? For me, I think just the hard work side of it, that's, I think, coming from the northeast, I think we're all so used to just actually just getting on with things and just going, right, OK, there's no point in mourning, we need, we just just need to get it, whether it's a running test, whether it might be just like, right, OK, well, it's over in four minutes, just let, let's just do your best kind of thing. But I think, like, the listening side of thing, I think people coming around and giving your arm around the shoulder and listening to what they say I think it's priceless especially those players that have been there and done it I always remember Kelly Smith on my first ever day in England camp I was 16 I was going in I'd just been called up off standby so nervous and she was the first person to come over and just go if you need anything I'm here just come and ask questions just go and enjoy it and I think football is obviously a short career so enjoying that moment as well I think you've got a just give it everything every every single day, really. And when you talk about the work done with the psychologist who sort of helped you to lead people better, can you think back to what that sort of original advice was that you got or whether there was that light bulb moment where you sit down with them and, and they take you down a path you'd never even considered? Because I think one of the frustrations for me is that as a nation, we just don't talk enough. You know, people aren't open to going and seeing psychologists and trying to look for self-improvement because it's a bit scary. No, of course, I think... Um, Adam used to chase us down in camps. He's like, "Have you got an hour now?" And I'm like, "No." And he's like, "Well, were you, you cynical have... then?" At yeah, the beginning? I mean, I yeah. was a little bit standoffish, and that's the type of person I am. Away from the pitches, I like to think that people think that I'm quite strong and whatever. But there's obviously some little bits where I know that by talking about it and after talking about it, I'm thinking, oh, "I feel so much better now that somebody actually knows." And I think when you're in them types of leadership roles, it's it's quite hard to maybe open up and show a little bit of weakness because you've been given a role that probably means a lot to you and you want to do it to your best. But I think ultimately, I think he broke us down um, quite slowly, but at the same time, it got to the point where the meetings weren't an hour and a half long, two hours. They got to the point where they're like 20 minutes and they're like, right, okay, what's your focus today? We've got a quarterfinal tomorrow. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to affect the game? And what are you going to do for the team? And what's your messages throughout the, the next few days? So can I ask in terms of the culture, because you've, been through a fascinating transition from Hope Powell when he first came in through to Mark Sampson and now Phil Neville. What would you say has been the big cultural differences um, on that journey that you've identified? I think um, especially going from Hope to Mark, um, when Mark first came in, I think he was all about the team and what the squad do. It wasn't just about the 11 on the pitch, it was about the 23 and making everybody feel valued and having real family feel. And that's similar to what Phil is now, I think. I think because the competition got so much greater over that period in comparison to Hope, it was always about how we can utilise 23 players rather than back in Hope squad. It was You could pretty much name the team every single week because maybe the competition wasn't as far spread as it is now. So I think you have to ultimately make sure you get everybody on board and everybody does have a part of player and everybody has their moment at some point in a, in a tournament and that's been evident over the last couple of World Cups and Euros as well. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So for people who are listening to this who are not involved in sport, but they are involved in organizations, they either run one or they work for one or they just want to sort things out at home better, from all of the different clubs you've played for and the different managers you've been under and all your environments, what do you think... Is, is a sort of winning culture. What does a winning, successful culture look like for you? I think everybody knowing that they pay, play a part. I think that's. I think everybody knowing what their role is in that specific, whether it's a team, an organisation, whether it's at home, I think it is important that you really believe that you have a part to play. And ultimately, sometimes it might not go as well as what you think, but at some point when you're needed you need to be ready to play that part and I think that there's a massive honesty thing I think you need to be really honest with each other and you need to have them honest conversations if maybe someone's not really pulling their weight you've got to be able to write okay act on it quickly rather than let it kind of boil over and I think that's probably more apparent in women's sport than it is in men's I think men probably cut the chase straight away and just go right okay yeah. well you don't need to be like that whereas maybe women could be potentially a little bit better at sorting out them problems there and then so it doesn't fester on further on and what about fault versus responsibility we talk about that quite a lot on this podcast because the number of times that people don't either achieve what they want or they don't have what they want in their life and they manage to find a fault a reason for it right quite often things happen to people that is not their fault you will know exactly how this feels there are things in your life it's not your fault right that certain things have happened but it's actually still your responsibility to process it deal with it and move forward through it isn't it and all too often i think people focus too much on the the fault not enough on the responsibility yeah, massively. I think going through all the teams that I've played for, I think you obviously see instances of that. But I think growing up and learning a lot and you see what happens, I think it is about trying to get them processes right and making sure that you actually go, right, OK, well, I maybe can't change that right now, but actually I can change something else and trying to figure out what that is you can change. And I think like what we said before, having them conversations, whether it's with your closest people, it might not be with people that you work with I think it's just making sure that you actually go right okay well at some point having that self-awareness that 
you can't continuously blame everybody else. At some point, you have to be involved in that process. So who does that for you then? So who calls you out if if you ever find yourself pointing the finger or absolving yourself of responsibility? Um, my husband, for one. And I, um, no, I mean, I think the biggest person, the, probably the biggest influence in my life is my dad. If I was to have a moan after a game, he'd be like, come on, Steph, like, that wasn't a good pass. You, what are you on about, like come on, you just need to be better at that bit. Like, you sort your stuff, you do your job and let everything else take care of itself, whether it's the manager, Nick or Phil or whoever it might be. And I think players around you as well. I think, obviously, I lean on Ellen quite a lot. Um, she'd have that honest conversation if I've had a bit of maybe emotional moment. She'd be like, well, it did happen like this, Steph. Or, and I'd like to think that I would be the same for her or my other teammates as well. Can and you I take think, criticism? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so... To have that criticism, it probably makes us more determined to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again. And I think you kind of want to have that perfect game and I'm realistic enough to know that that doesn't happen. But at the same time, I want to try and get as close to perfect as I can. So what was the, if you think back to these moments and people coming in and making a difference for you with by being honest, what's been the single most important bit of feedback you've ever received from somebody? I think Hope Powell, I think, especially because I was younger and you're obviously in an environment where women's football was getting bigger and you wanted to be so much a part of it. And I think she was quite hard on us in terms of because I was young and she liked to keep my feet on the floor, which was good. I was never, ever big headed, but I think she wanted to make sure that I was never, ever going to be like that. And I think the way that she always spoke to us was I could never, ever get anything right for her. And she was always kind of like, yeah, it was okay, but you could have done this better. And I think her advice was always like, keep trying to be the best. And all you can do is make sure that you get on that pitch and keep trying. I bet you hated that at the beginning, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm stubborn as well. So I was like, right, okay, I'm trying my best. I've just been called up to an England squad. I really want to be the best. I want to be in the squad. I want to be, whether I was playing right back or midfield then, you wanted to try and make an impact and... Um, you don't like hearing it, but at the time, I'm probably a bit of a person that reflects an hour later and go, right, okay, well, she was right, to be honest. I think in that moment, I probably got a bit emotional. And when you go back home, you're like, right, okay, logically, that was the right thing for me at the time. And um, and obviously, it worked a little bit, yeah. So those two combinations, then, of being stubborn and a perfectionist, how have you learned to be kind to yourself? Because that's often a virtue that some of our listeners struggle with this ability just to accept feedback or be kind to themselves and not be relentless or punishing themselves how do you deal with that um i'm not very good at compliments to be honest i know that's probably contradicting what i'm saying because i'm getting i don't really like the criticism but at the same time if someone was to compliment and i'd probably make a joke out of it and be like oh no that was that was average or whatever it might be and i think that's my way of just maybe resetting my mind to kind of keep going forward and keep looking ahead and keep trying to be the best and i think it probably is a bad thing that you, you can't really compliment yourself and look, I can't really at this moment in time look at what I've achieved because really? I think I'm continuously just thinking, right, OK, well, we've got Olympics next year, we've got trophies to win at Man City, then I've got Euros 2021 and I think it's at this moment in time I'm just like, right, OK, what's the next thing we can try, kind of achieve? Which I know pub, people probably say, well, you've got 100 caps for England, you've won trophies for Man City, you're captain your country, whatever, you've achieved so much. Do you not so- take time to savour it? Because I think that my biggest bit of advice I try and give to my kids is to savour it, man. Enjoy the day and 
like I think that we live in a world where we don't enjoy the process. We get so caught up in, oh, I need to get the car parked. I need to get to the shops. I need to get my Christmas presents bought. I need to get packed to go on holiday. I need to make sure I've got the passports. I need to make sure I've cooked the dinner. And because we're all living in a process... We're actually not taking time to enjoy the process. No, massively. I think there's only probably a few moments, especially last season, say FA Cup final. That was a moment where I was like, right, okay, just enjoy every single minute, Steph. No matter what the result is, like you've prepared well. Your family's all coming down from the northeast to come and see you play. Or we're doing something after the game, whether we win or lose. I was like, right, okay. I kind of like relaxed a little bit more, which is probably one of the first times I've ever really done that. And I was like, I actually enjoyed the whole experience a little bit more. And do you think that impacted on your performance as well? Um, yeah, I think so, because I kind of took a little bit of pressure off myself, which normally I'm, I'm always like in the zone, um, have the same routine before games, kind of. I don't like to be distracted in terms of like what I do to get ready for a game. And that was the first time I was like, right, OK, I'm going to actually enjoy being in Wembley, like soak up the atmosphere a little bit more and enjoy it after as well. And obviously walking up to... To get the trophy was unbelievable. You remember all them little moments a little bit more. We've got a few questions to finish with. Okay. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and the people around you, whether that's your managers, your family, your teammates, the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and they have to buy into? Timekeeping. I'm a stickler for people being late. I think you've got to be on time. I think it's a respect thing. Um, respect your peers and obviously um, the people that you work with and obviously the environment that you're in um, and hard work no matter what you do whether it's in sport or out of sport I think um, the way that you apply yourself I think that's whether it makes you successful or not So my question is around your legacy how important is legacy to you? Oh massively I think because of the sport that I'm in I think um when I was younger, there wasn't that much of a legacy and there wasn't that much to kind of aspire to be. Um, whereas now I know that I've, I've been a part of a legacy of women's football over the last 10, 12 years. I think, I think back to the Olympics in 2012, I think that was probably a biggest watershed moment for women's football to get that many people watching on telly and at the stadium and for us to go and win was unbelievable and that really put women's football on the map and... I look back to 2015 when we won bronze medal in Canada. Never, ever expected. We didn't expect to go and get anything, but to come home with a medal and know that everybody's watching back home and knowing when you come back that you have been and living in a little bit of a bubble and people are actually knowing your name and wearing your shirt, which was a special feeling. So I think there's so much more we can achieve, but I'd like to know that we have been a part of something special over the last few years. What advice would you give to a teenage Steph or even younger, just starting out? Um, to not focus on what other people think of you. I think sometimes you have this perception that you think this of me, but at the same time, I will never ever know what you really think of me. So why not? Why waste your energy on people that potentially they might have got that mis misjudgment of yourself and they don't really know you anyway? And be totally honest with us. Is that something that you're still working on even now? Yeah, massively. I think that's, I think because of my profile, um, and obviously the social media interest and obviously people now are interested in women's football and uh, people are trying to catch you out and they're trying to try and find something negative about you even though you've achieved so much in the game. 
I'm not stupid enough to know that that happens in football. You see it all the time with the men and because our profile's raising and the women's game's getting bigger, that's obviously going to be the next thing for us. So I think it's just obviously trying to sieve out all that kind of stuff as much as you can and not really get too wrapped up in it. We'd all love to do that, wouldn't we? <laughs> just turn your phone off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, turn your phone off, yeah. And the last one then, Steph. What's your one golden rule to live a high-performance life? Structure and routine. I think, for me, your life is football. I mean, I know certainly my life is revolved around my training, my nutrition, my rest, um, to be the best that I can be and to give myself the best chance of being the best footballer that I can be for both club and country. And um, you make a lot of sacrifices along the way in terms of missing out on family things and friends and living away from home. I like, lived away from home for like eight, nine years now, which... Um, at some point it gets a bit tough but at the same time you know that you're doing it to be the best that you can be and it takes a lot of hard work to be like that and to really put football first and to put yourself as an athlete first but ultimately you reap the rewards on the pitch Do you think anyone can live a high performance life if they really apply themselves to it? Yeah massively I think it's not I think that we spoke about at the beginning it's not just rocket science it's it's quite simple it's just been about being organised and putting your priorities and where there's training, training's number one. That has to be the first thing that you put in your diary in that day and your recovery stuff after. And yeah, of course, it's important to have a life away from football, but and it's possible to do both. It's, it is possible to have a high-performance lifestyle, but also be able to do the other stuff that other people do as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. My thought now is that you're someone that has absolutely put all the processes in place to allow you to extract the maximum from your career, aren't you? Yeah, I'd like to think so, but I'm, it doesn't happen overnight. I know, I know for a fact it's not happened overnight. I think it's a lot of things where you do make mistakes and uh, you do make the wrong decisions, but at the same time, it's how you kind of come back from that and having the bravery to actually accept that as well and try and be the bigger person and go right okay well maybe I messed up on that a little bit but I'm going to put this in place and I'll be even better wonderful thank you thank you so much Steph thank you guys Damien Jake she is a lady that absolutely lives by process doesn't she it's all about getting the process right to get the results right yeah very much what struck me about Steph was um, I was thinking of an old quote from this might sound random, so bear with me, like a German philosopher from the 19th century, a guy called Arthur Schopenhauer. And Schopenhauer often talks about, if you want to make change happen, three things will follow. The first thing is people laugh at you. Second thing is they oppose you. And then the third thing is they finally accept it as common practice. And what struck me about Steph's story was that she's actually brought about change. She's been a living embodiment of somebody that's changed the perception of women's football and her story and the courage to go through that ridicule initially playing with the boys and then the opposition and people questioning why she could do it to now being one of the leading stars of, of of that very sport was fascinating to listen to but you can even become the more than 100 cap England captain you can play for Manchester City you can win every trophy there is to win but you still have to work on yourself and the fact that she clearly doesn't yet really enjoy and savour the process because she's too obsessed with the result of the process I think is really interesting and I wonder whether that's something that in the years to come she'll either reflect on or repair and make sure that actually she does savour it as she goes along. Yeah, I think that example that she gave about the FA Cup final recently of actually learning to relax and enjoy the experience is something that, that seems to have resonated with her and I hope 
for her sake, that she can actually enjoy the spoils of what she's doing, because it is pretty special. But there's no doubt, is there, when you sit and speak to her for a while, you realise she is absolutely a high-performance individual, but she is a high-performance individual that has created that for herself with absolute sacrifice, dedication and determination. Yeah, she's a phenomenal example for anyone, especially young girls that might be listening that would want to follow in her footsteps. Well, thanks so much to Steph for joining us. I'm sure that at the moment, you know, she's uh, she's finding things difficult. However, she'll bounce back. An amazing, um, strong mindset and someone who's been a leader in so many ways for so many years. And of course, very best wishes to the Lionesses for the Euros this summer. I hope you're all able to uh, enjoy it on TV or radio, wherever you're tuning in. And don't forget that you can also watch as well as listen to High Performance on our YouTube channels. And we would love you to join the High Performance Circle. Just go to the high performance podcast.com and get involved right there it's free and you'll get so many amazing resources like weekly emails you'll also get high performance boosts which are just short uplifting presentations from people and also keynote speeches as well that's at the high performance podcast.com but for now thanks to finn from rethink audio thanks to will hannah Gemma, eve of course the amazing professor damien hughes and we'll see you next time for another episode of high performance Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.